Welcome to the Golden Age of Baseball with Eddie Robinson, baseball's oldest living player. Eddie was a four-time All-Star, World Series winner, scout, and front office executive during his amazing 65-year career in baseball. These podcasts will give the baseball enthusiasts the opportunity to share a slice of baseball history with someone who actually lived it. And now, here's Eddie. Well, here we are again, guys. Uh, I'll talk about a couple of more emails that I received. One was from uh, Andrew Lowell. He wouldn't know about Charlie Keller. Wouldn't know if I knew him. I didn't know Charlie except as a opposing player, but I knew of him. He was uh, from Maryland, and I lived in Baltimore a long time. Uh, he was highly respected as a player, of course, uh, really helped the Yankees win a, a, a lot of their pennants in World Series. A uh, good friend of mine, Tommy Byrne, was great friends with Charlie, and he told me what a wonderful person he was. I'm sorry I can't tell you any more than that. Another thing I'm happy to tell you is that uh, I was happy and very happy to receive an email from our first female listener. Her name is Abigail O'Brien, and she wrote a nice email, and she had heard the podcast, and she was uh, she liked it, and uh, she was going to con- continue to listen. Uh, that pleases me. You know, uh, women make very good baseball fans. Once they get interested in the game, they make great fans, and and they don't boo you like the men do. They don't, they don't get on you, and and, and you appreciate that. So, Abigail, you're welcome, and I hope we get some more female listeners. Anyway, uh, I'm through with that, and uh, we'll get on to something else. I'll tell you a funny story about Yogi Berra. And then we'll get on with my career and the things that happened to me in my career. But uh, And I'm, I'm really getting ahead of myself by telling you this, but uh, I, I think it'll liven things up. Uh, when I was with the Yankees, we played an, an, a long night game. Got to bed late. Uh, we were playing a day game the next day, a Sunday day game. And I didn't want to take batting practice. I wanted to uh, have a late breakfast and get to the ballpark late and just get my uniform on and and play the game. And players did that once in a while. Uh, If they didn't want to take batting practice, they would get to the park late and and, uh, get dressed and play play the game. So that's what I was going to do. I got to the ballpark, uh, as I say, late. And... um, I was getting my uniform on, and batting practice ended, and our players started filing back into the clubhouse. And as soon as Yogi came through the door, he spotted me, and he came right over to my locker, and he said, where the hell were you today? And I said, well, I didn't want to take batting practice. We had a late game last night, and I didn't want to do it. He said, well, you really missed it. I said, well, what did I miss? He said there were two streakers 
He said they jumped on the field at the right field foul line and they ran all the way across the field to the left field foul line and jumped up in the seats and ran off. Uh, For those of you who don't know what a streaker is, and I'm sure some of you don't, uh, uh, during the time I played, there occasionally a streaker would be a person with no clothes on who would run nude for a short distance uh, <laughs> just to shock everybody, give everybody something to talk about. And it, it happened It happened once in a while. It, it, it's a strange thing, but they got a kick out of doing it. Anyway, these two streakers did it. I said, no kidding, Yogi. I guess I did miss it. I said, what were they, boys or girls? He thought for a minute, and then he said, I don't know. He said they had bags on their heads. I think that's a funny story. We'll get on with the 1947 season now. It was an important year, but it was uh, just a, it was my first full year in the big leagues. And and uh, I was looking forward to it. We we had a young, pretty young team. Uh, we had uh, Dale Mitchell in left field, and he was uh, 25 or 26. He was my age. Hank Edwards in right field, Jim Higgin, the catcher, uh, Bob Lemon, the pitcher. We were all returning from the service and uh, looking forward to our first full year in the big leagues. Uh, they had provided Boudreaux with a, a great coaching staff. We had Tris Speaker, great ball player from the past, as our outfield coach and hitting. He helped with the hitting a little bit. But we had Rogers Hornsby, who was a 400 hitter in the big leagues for several years. And uh, he was our hitting coach. And we had uh, uh, Bill McKechnie, who was our Boudreaux's bench coach. He was the guy that uh, Boudreaux conferred with during the ball game uh, about moves that, uh, that they would make while the game was going on. And uh, all three of those guys are in the Hall of Fame, great Hall of Famers. So they were on our team, and we all appreciated that. The season got started. We played our way back from Tucson. Uh, I guess the, the biggest stop we made, the one that we enjoyed the most, was in uh, Alpine, Texas. And there was a rancher in Alpine who loved baseball. And he wanted them to be in professional baseball. And he built a park and put them in the West Texas New Mexico League. Uh, his name, Coconut, was his name, and he he had our big league club, the Indians, stop by there every spring on their way back north after spring training was over. We liked it because it was a big deal. They had a big uh, barbecue for all the fans in, in Alpine, and the, and the ball players liked it because uh, he gave money. He gave $25 for a two-base hit, $50 for a three-base hit, and $100 for a home run. Cash money. And and we liked that. That was that was fun. So we look forward to that. The other stops on the way back were just incidental stops that you stopped to play uh, to keep your conditioning up. 
And we finally got back to Cleveland, and uh, we started the season. Little did we know it was uh, it was going to be uh, a momentous season, in that uh, Jackie Robinson uh, was going to be the first black player in the National League. He had played in Montreal the year before, 1946, and I had played against him in Montreal. And I think I said previously that I admired him as a player. Uh, I thought he was a very good player. And uh, I thought if anybody had a chance to break the colored barrier and and stand up under the pressure of it, that uh, Jackie could do it. Well, he was uh, starting with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Of course, uh, my friend Bobby Brown was uh, up with the Yankees for the first time in 47. We all three, of course, had been in the International League the year before. So uh, early in the year, I guess guess it was June, uh, Bill Beck signed Larry Doby. He was the first black player in the American League. Now, uh, Jackie gets all the accolades, and and uh, they talk about him, and, and he's a big hero for breaking the color barrier, which he deserves. He shouldn't get that. But Doby didn't get any of those accolades, and he did the same thing in the American League as Jackie did in the National League. He was just a couple of months later. And you don't hear much about Doby. But he, he joined our club. He didn't have such a good rookie season like uh, Robinson had with the Dodgers, but Larry was a developing young player. He's another youngster on our team. And, and he, he, uh, he went through all the things. He ate at a separate restaurant. He stayed at a separate hotel. Some of the players gave him a hard time. Uh, we were all sympathetic to him, but he stood up under it. And he's in the Hall of Fame today. I got off to a reasonable start, but uh, I just never really settled in. Uh, I, I just had a terrible year. In my estimation, it was a terrible year. I hit 250. And I hung around that figure all year long. I couldn't seem to get a hot streak going and, and get my swing back like I'd had in Baltimore. One of the big differences was uh, when you're in the minor leagues and even in, in AAA, uh, the pitchers can't get their breaking stuff and change change of speeds. They can't get it over the plate as well as they can in the big leagues. So you get a lot of fastballs to hit. And I was a dead fastball hitter. Uh, therefore, I, I, I did very well in AAA baseball. But when I made the jump to the major leagues, the pitchers could get their curveball over and they could get their change of pace over, and it became more difficult for me. They would show me the fastball. They'd pitch it. It would always be out of the strike zone, and then they would load me up a curveball or a change, and I would ground out to the second baseman. I would look at Bobby Brown. And and he was hitting 300 and doing very well with the Yankees. And Jackie Robinson was hitting and, and the star of the Brooklyn Dodgers. And there I was floundering. But uh, I was doing the very best I could do. And I was hanging on. I, 
I would hit a home run now and then. I think I hit 16 for the year. Then I drove in some runs. Uh, but uh, things just weren't going right. With about a month of the season left, uh, we were playing the Yankees, and Allie Reynolds was pitching against us. And uh, he threw me a, a low fastball. And I hit it solid, but it only traveled about a foot and a half, and it hit me in the right ankle. I fouled it down into my right ankle, and it really, really hurt. I took time out and walked around and limped around. Boudreaux came out, and the trainer came out, and, and we finally decided that I couldn't continue to play. I couldn't get feeling back in my leg, uh, in my ankle. So... Uh, they took me out, and uh, I went in, and our team doctor met me in the training room. He said, get up on the training table and let me look at it, so I did. And he moved it around and looked at it. He said, well, I don't think it's broken. I think it's badly bruised. Uh, but he said, uh, precautionary measures, uh, why don't you get your shower and dress and drive down to my office? and uh, let them x-ray it just to be sure. So I said, okay, I'll do that. So I got showered and, and dressed and got in my car and drove down to his office and went upstairs, and they were, they were waiting on me, and they took me in and x-rayed my ankle. I went out in the waiting room and waited for their answer to see what they found out. In a little while, they came out with a wheelchair, and I said, well, what's that for? They said, it's for you. They said, you, you broke your ankle. You have a dis, uh, uh, it's not a displaced fracture. It's, the in, it's in place. It doesn't have to be set, but it has to be kept mobilized for uh, six weeks. And so it heals uh, properly and doesn't, you don't move it during the healing process. So we're going to put you in the hospital, and we're going to put you in a cast, and uh, you'll be in that cast for six weeks. And they did that. I, the season was over for me, and uh, Elaine and I went back to Baltimore, and I, I just recuperated. While I was in the cast, uh, we went to Atlantic City for a little vacation, and I had to have a wheelchair. She had to... Uh, pushed me in a wheelchair up, up and down the, the boardwalk in La Atlantic City. I, I'm sure it was a funny sight, but <laughs> anyway, that was a little vacation for us. Thank you for listening to the Golden Age of Baseball with baseball legend Eddie Robinson. If you have a question for Eddie or would like to suggest a topic for him to discuss, please email eddie.robinson65 at yahoo.com. And for an even deeper dive into the golden age of baseball, read his autobiography, Lucky Me, My 65 Years in Baseball, which you can find on goodreads.com and on Amazon. The executive producer of the golden age of baseball is Greg Ricks. Our engineer is Mark Robinson, and our podcast coordinator is Abby Robinson. Mm -hmm.